Hey everybody, so before jumping into the podcast, I just wanted to let you guys know a little bit about ourselves. We are two best friends from Florida who I guess you can say we have a little bit of a passion for all things crime. We love creepy stories, we love crime stories, we love Stephen King, we love horror movies. All things creepy, you name it, we love it. We love recommending crime documentaries to each other, and when we go out of town, Discovery ID is a must-have TV channel on in our hotel rooms. We often talk and text and tweet each other about crime stories, whether it's locally or all over the United States or maybe all over the world, and we figured a good outlet for us to, I guess, share our passion and dive a little bit deeper into the crimes that we find interesting would be a podcast. Hence the idea of creating Crime Talk with T and Z, which is pretty self-explanatory. We pick a crime, we talk about it, we share it with you guys. We really hope that you like it and enjoy it as much as we do. We just hope you're patient and you bear with us because as I've said, we're first timers and we're really learning the ropes over here. But without further ado, here's Crime Talk with T and Z. Hey everyone, welcome to Crime Talk with TNZ. I'm Rhiannon Torino. And I am Elizabeth Zambrano. For our very first episode, I thought it would be good to focus on our home state of Florida because I feel like crazy stuff is always happening here. Crime is prevalent in the news. Yeah, I mean, we're known for the state with a Florida man, Florida woman, so I think it's a good place to start for us to start in our home and then branch outwards. So today we're going to be going back to 1984 in Orlando and talk about the murder of Pamela Cajanes. So I'm just gonna let Rhiannon set the scene and tell us the whole story. All right, so I wanna start off by telling our listeners that Pamela was not originally from Florida, not originally from Orlando. She grew up in the outskirts of Stillwater, Minnesota. Her town was small, fewer than 10,000 people and her parents ran a dairy farm. She was the seventh of eight kids and she was described as a reliable, good person. I saw uh, an interview of her siblings shortly after her death and they said that she really needed a change in her life and that's why she decided to join the Navy and go to Florida. She had recently broken up with a boyfriend, she was feeling stagnant and she really wanted to see the world and she felt like the Navy could do that for her. I mean, who doesn't want change after our breakup? I dyed my hair after breaking up with a boyfriend, but moving away is a really big step. Yeah. Moving away, being separated from your family is a huge step, especially when you come from such a small town and this certain life to then now come to Florida. Um, I think a lot of people can relate to her, though, like wanting something different and wanting a change of scenery. And Despite not wanting to be separated from her, her family was super supportive and they drove her to the airport, but unfortunately, little did they know, in only three months, she would never be able to see them again and never be able to talk to them. That's horrible. I mean, they said goodbye thinking that they would be able to see her again and it's just sad to think that, you know, they never got a proper goodbye. And they were probably like really excited that she was, you know, going to serve her country. Oh, extremely. I We were super proud when my cousin joined the Air Force. Yeah. And at the time of her death, she was just 25 years old, which really resonates with me because we're around that age, and I, like, can't imagine feeling like I have this whole life ahead of me and all these goals and aspirations, and it's done. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I don't get to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Exactly. 
um, she had just graduated on August 3rd from the Navy Training Center. So not only did she have her whole life ahead of her, but she had her whole naval career ahead of her also. So I want our listeners to know that the training center that I'm referring to and that I'm going to continue to be referring to is no longer there. It's now Baldwin Park which despite the name actually isn't a park. It's a living community, an apartment complex, which made total sense to me because when I was reading about her case and I was researching about it, I could not recall us having a Navy training base in Orlando. I thought they were more coastal, like Panama, Pensacola, Jacksonville. Yeah, they are definitely most of the time coastal. Um, I do believe that there's one in Homestead. But like I said, my cousin um, was stationed, he's in the Air Force, but he was stationed on a naval base in Pensacola. So I, I really don't know of any other naval bases. I think there's also one in the Keys, maybe? Maybe, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's talk about her last known whereabouts. And this is the timeline that I was able to get from the investigators and what they determined So, on August 3rd, we know that she's at the Navy Training Center for her graduation. The next day, between 11 and 3 p.m., she went to the Fashion Square Mall. That mall is still there, right? Yes. So, I I looked it up to make sure because even though we're from Florida, we're from South Florida, and we go to Orlando often, but I wasn't quite sure about this mall. We don't really go to malls when we go there. Right. Disney, Universal, that's where we're at. Um... So I looked it up, and a good landmark for this mall is the Orlando Airport. Like, they're right near each other, like maybe a mile or two away. So from the mall, she then went to Kmart, where she was spotted at, like, 3.18 p.m. She bought some toiletries, and according to witnesses, there was a man with her. And they looked friendly, and they got in the car together. But there were no cameras back then, right? I mean, the 80s wasn't there yet with surveillance. Is that correct? Right, so... 80s surveillance was like in its infancy it was just starting out so even if there had been let's say cameras at the Kmart they were probably fuzzy not that great I mean it's hard for me to imagine considering it's 2019 and there's cameras everywhere right every stoplight there's a camera every store has a camera ATMs ATMs and for the most part they're pretty clear you know Mm -hmm. so Surveillance just wasn't there yet at the time of her murder. And then, obviously, without really having a reliable source of surveillance, do we know what time they left the Kmart? I'm not exactly sure what time they left Kmart, but between 6 and 7 p.m., she was seen with an unidentified man at the Navy Center. They were seen walking in front of the base. And between 7 and 8, she and the guy were seen at the Mariners Club, which is a bar on the base. Is that the same guy that she was seen at Kmart with? Is he a Navy member? So I'm not sure. I couldn't find a sketch, nor could I find confirmation that the witnesses described the guys the same way. But I mean, you spent the whole day with this guy. If he doesn't come forward after to be like, hey, like I was with her this time and this time, or that's like, kind of like sketchy, right? Report her missing or just be like, I was the last person to see her or something. I think it, it like it's, it's two different ways, right? Like either I come forward and like they know I wasn't the person that did it and I can give them some information or I come forward and they think I did it. Yeah, so, you're, you're seen as a suspect. Right, so maybe you don't necessarily want to go forward, but you spent 
if this is the same guy, you you spent the whole day with her. Yeah, I mean, viewers uh, could, if he was this guy we're talking about, I mean, you were the last person to see her alive if you're not the one that ended her life. Right. Was he, like, some sort of boyfriend? Like, were they seen as maybe a type of a couple? Like, shopping and stuff like that is something you do with somebody that's maybe a little bit more than a friend because they're the only person that could be willing to spend a whole day in a... So she had mentioned a couple of guys that she had crushes on at the base to her family. And the police questioned those gentlemen, but they didn't end up being that person that she was with. So if this is a potential boyfriend or a really good friend, he hadn't really been mentioned before. Okay. At some point in the night, she left the bar and either she or the person she was with bought Chinese food at 1.09 a.m. The name of the restaurant or location was not on the receipt, so unfortunately those employees couldn't be questioned. This receipt literally just had what she ordered and the price. And in the autopsy report, they did find Chinese food in her stomach. If if there had been a name on the receipt, maybe we would have been able to get more information about her last few hours. Possibly. And that morning at 7.05 a.m. on August 5th, Pamela was found dead in the side yard of a vacant home in Stanford. Stanford is like 30 minutes away from where the Navy base was. And she was found dead, face down. Niece folded, wearing only underwear. Her uniform laid crumpled inches away from her. Her bra was found three days later, 200 feet from where her body was. She was badly beaten and strangled. The person that killed her did not take anything from her. She wasn't robbed. Her money was there, her shopping bags. Nothing was missing. Even the takeout carton from the Chinese food was by her. That's crazy, just because without the food being stolen, without anything else like then what was the intent in murdering her um my question is was there anything that didn't belong to her near her body yeah so there were a couple of foreign things like yellow carpet fibers on her pants um some blue cellophane on her right shoulder a pubic hair on her left shoulder and they were able to obtain dna from under her fingernails and some semen that were on her underwear and the dna matched it was from the same person it definitely sounds like she fought back and she tried to defend herself it's just sad knowing that whatever training she got in the navy was not enough to help her get away from her assailant i know and unfortunately despite there being dna present There wasn't a hit on the DNA in the database at the time, and we wouldn't know who it belonged to for 34 years. 34 years is a long time without answers. I I wouldn't be able to really think about anything other than why would anyone do this to my daughter if I was her parents. Me too. And what makes it even more sad is that her dad passed away in 2001, and her mom in 2016. So it's, it's, it's horrible. They both died not knowing what happened. But at least her siblings and family are able to get some closure because investigators decided to go with a different approach that allowed them to identify her killer. Investigators were able to get a DNA match using a genealogy research database, and this match led them to Thomas Lewis Gardner. At this point, did they know that it was him, that Thomas Lewis Gardner was 
the man that she was seen with on the day that she died? So, I think they weren't completely sure yet. And that is why they followed Gardner until he was able to drop a personal item so that analysts could then test that personal item for his DNA and compare it to the DNA found at the crime scene. I think they they knew that he was definitely a potential person, but the way geology research DNA works is you have a couple people that share really similar DNA, right? Family members. And it could possibly be him. It could possibly be maybe a sibling. So with following him and retrieving DNA right from him, they were able to then match it to the DNA at the evidence. And then, you know, that way, I'm guessing, you know, they really do this for that way the defense can't, like, try to poke a hole in the DNA. Yeah, because if they have an exact match, then they're able to at least place him with her on the day that she died, and they can build a case around that. Um, Whereas if they didn't really have proof that, yes, this is our guy, the defense could have been like, well, it could be his brother or a cousin. We don't know. Right. So on Thursday, March 14th, 2019, Sheriff Dennis Lima announced the arrest of Gardner, who is charged with first-degree murder and held without bond. I thought it was great that the sheriff and a few other... um, people from the police department actually went to Minnesota and delivered the news in person to her family. Yeah, that's something you don't want to do over the phone. Um, were they able to confirm if Garner was uh, an, a Navy member or somebody that was on base that day? So that is the only link that authorities have been able to put between them. Garner was stationed on the base the same time Pamela was, and it's that seems to be the only connection they have because he isn't talking. He won't say, yeah, I was with her all day that day, or I saw her at the bar. He is completely silent. This particular case sets a precedent because I think we're going to start seeing more cases being solved with genealogical DNA, and it seems to be something we're hearing more and more about. I mean, the Golden State Killer was uh, caught thanks to Ancestry. Is that correct? I don't know if I'm I think thinking it, of it I wrong. don't know if it was Ancestry... But it was definitely a, a it database. It was one of those, yeah. yeah. I, I think we're going to see it, too, especially with cold cases um, in particular where, you know, your our typical process of processing DNA isn't working. And obviously those cold cases don't remain cold. You know, those detectives really want to figure out who did this. Yeah, especially if it's a cold case from a long time ago when they didn't have the resources that we have now. It's 2019 research and the way we handle evidence has obviously evolved um so i think revisiting them would be a good way to bring closure and also if the killer is still alive make them pay for what they did and justice can be served i agree and it definitely gives you know victims family hope i i saw an interview with one of pamela's sisters and she said she's like we never gave up we knew hopefully one day that they were going to catch him and we were just waiting for there to be some type of change yeah and this is the exact change that they needed of course so a little behind the scenes info for everybody listening um i wrote the script at the beginning of march and at the time it was a cold case episode Um, Pamela's killer had not been caught yet 
And before we recorded, I decided to just double check something and I saw that he got caught. And I'm just really happy that we were able to change the episode from a cold case to a solved murder case. Yeah. Um, obviously, the circumstance is not a happy circumstance, but at least her family knows, her fellow sailors know, her friends that she made, you know, it, it makes me... Everybody just got closure. It makes with, me happy that there's an, being solved. an explanation. Now, if only he will talk and provide Confess. more of a story as to what exactly happened that day, that would be great. Maybe after he's convicted... And yeah, because there would have to be a trial. Everything has to be set in place for the evidence to be reviewed again by a jury. Right. Hopefully he'll talk. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into our very first episode of Crime Talk with TNZ. Um, bear with us. We are learning the way of the podcast world. We will get better. I promise. Um, we will have new episodes for you every week. Thank you for listening to us. I know there's a lot of crime podcasts out there. Crime Talk with TNC is hosted by Rhiannon Torino, co-hosted by Elizabeth Zambrano. Our music is by Elizabeth Zambrano and our logo is by Alexander Zust.